distro hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. My name is Tony. I live in the northwest of England. And I am Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. Welcome to Distro Hoppers Digest. We love checking distros out, new distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity, our desktop, or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro, or better understand one which has piqued your curiosity. The idea of this podcast is that we will each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three or four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials and tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't. Tony and I prefer to look at distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS. While I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we will also divulge what hardware we are using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 22, recorded on May 5th, 2021. This episode, we're taking on Emma Buntus, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, Makulu Lindos, and SolidX with a brief discussion of RoboLinux and a flop or two. We're happy to receive suggestions of distros you'd like us to try. Monthly foibles were and we discussed what we did this month. I could have reviewed RoboLinux last month or this, but it was just not different enough from Ubuntu Mate. Unless you pay the developer a lot of money, which would get you what is thought to be a very good set of white hat hacker tools. I instead posted a brief review at It's Moss. I've had a lot of stuff going on, having picked up Full Circle Weekly News on top of my activity on Mintcast and this podcast, and I've also had work as a substitute teacher more days in the past month, so I've been a bit limited for time, and even skipped a Mintcast because all the little things were piling up. I continue to have odd problems with USB sound cards. The last vendor kept swearing they sent me replacements, oh my, the postal service, but I don't think they ever did, and they finally refunded my money. It required six messages through eBay to get to that point, and they forced the sixth one even after I told them that they would get the dreaded negative feedback if I had to write again. I ordered two identical cards from a vendor in China. It may take a while for them to get here, but the odds on both of them being broken are low. What's going on with you, Dale? I received my System76 Pangolin laptop. It is an all-AMD-based laptop. I chose the 4 gigahertz Ryzen 5 4500U. It will do 2.3 up to 4 gigahertz with an 8 megabyte cache, 6 cores, 6 threads, with 16 gigabytes of RAM and a 15.6 inch display. I wrote an initial impressions review on It's Moss. My other activities are discussed under the Beautiful Failure section. And non-computer activities, I took my 20-year-old Kirby vacuum cleaner to the service center. The neutral drive pedal, it broke. They fixed it and looked the rest of it over. And while I was shopping at Staples buying printer paper and a spiral notebook, I saw an office chair I liked. Considering that my existing chair was over 10 years old, I figured I was due for a new one. 
It is a Dormio bonded leather manager's chair. It was pretty easy to assemble. The instructions were in perfect English, and the diagrams shown were very helpful. How about you, Tony? Yeah, well, I've been doing a little bit of Linux stuff, but not too much because I've been busy with other things. I've got a Dell 7250 uh, Ultrabook, which runs Windows 10 and has a dual boot with OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. And it's been a while since I started this PC up. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, I needed it to use the Windows 10 install for my HP Color Laser printer I've got to print off some decals for my modeling. And I suddenly realised that the OpenSUSE uh, Tumbleweed hadn't been updated for a while. And I thought, oops, being a rolling release, it might be a bit of a problem. But anyway. I decided to take a risk and I ran the upgrade path, which consisted of over 1,200 packages to upgrade. And I can report that everything went smoothly and everything still works. I had a little bit of a uh, weekly update um, when I switched it on yesterday. And I'm now running on kernel 5.12.0-2. So cutting edge kernel. And LibreOffice is at 7.1.1.2, so uh, I'm, assu- I'm pretty certain all the other software was probably the, the latest or as near to making very little difference, but uh, I haven't checked out a lot of it yet. But considering the length of time between updates, I was quite surprised that, that it all went so smoothly and there were no issues with the update or the PC after the update. <laughs> so that's a great positive for the uh, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed developers keeping a, a stable rolling release. Quite, quite impressed. Other things I've been doing that's not Linux have been walk, doing a lot of walking and my usual cooking, doing a bit of modelling. But uh, yeah, everything's uh, cool here. I was telling uh, Moss just before the show started that uh, I went walking on Sunday morning and had a bit of a tumble. So I'm a bit achy at the moment because I've got bruises all over and my back's twinging, but I'll survive. Yeah, the walking is fine. It's the falling down stuff we need to avoid. Yeah, it's the falling down that doesn't work. <laughs> Shall we move on to updates? Updates, where we discuss what we've learned about distros we've already reviewed. To quote Bela Fleck, the hippo has landed. All the Ubuntu flavors were released on April 22nd, on top of that, Bela would be further pleased that, thanks to System76, Cosmic Desktop is landing in Pop! OS, which would make it the Cosmic Hippo, although its presence will be delayed until June. And Slackware 15 Beta just landed on the 14th. We've been waiting for this for five years. And there is something I keep forgetting to report on with Lubuntu, both 20.10 and now 21.04. When I ask it to reboot, it seldom makes it all the way to the reboot command, at least on my machines. You're left with a blank screen waiting for it to restart and eventually have to do a hard boot down. Has anything caught your attention about the distros you've reviewed for us, Dale? Well, GhostBSB is now using the FreeBSD 13 stable as a base which was, I think they released that, I think, sometime earlier this month, or maybe the end of last month. That also upgrades their ZFS to OpenZFS 2.0. And uh, 
OpenZFS is the merger between all of the ZFS projects into one code base. I didn't see anything else for the other reviews, though it's hard to keep track since some of them are rolling distros. Anything from you, Tony? Uh, apart from what I said on uh, Susie Tumbleweed, not very much, but just to go back to what Moss was saying about uh, 2104 Lubuntu, I don't think this is just a Lubuntu thing. I've heard rumours that Canonical and Ubuntu are telling people not to upgrade from 2010 to 2104. Well, I think that's a different issue, Tony. I, I did not do an upgrade. I've had this problem on 2010 and on 2104 as clean installs, but uh, I haven't read about it anywhere else. It could be just the Dell that I'm working on. I do not know. Yeah, it could It could be a similar issue, though, because I think it's something to do with um, the uh, boot manager and uh, the type of boot you're using. Yeah, they were saying EFI had a... Uh, uh, whatever they call it, that is signed by Microsoft and they hadn't gotten around to a Linux signature. Yeah, so if you're using an EFI uh, booting computer, then that might be the issue. Well, in this case, it boots all the way down and then doesn't issue the restart command. Right. Okay. Anyway, should we move on to beautiful failures? Beautiful failures, what we tried and failed to install or run this month. Dale and I worked together to install MUbuntu's. For some reason, some of my tools would not install, such as Telegram and Element and Discord. Dale said he would keep the distro on his machine and work with it, so I wiped mine and started over. I had a really good time with Solid X, as I report below, and decided to try Solid K as a dual boot. The installation went just as well as Solid X, but after rebooting, it seizes with a kernel panic in step one. I installed it twice more, looked at the checksum, downloaded a different copy, installed it again, and I still get the exact same issue. I have reported it to the forum. I have not tried to use Solid K as a sole installation, but I doubt that dual booting was the issue. Dale? As Moss mentioned, I installed Amabuntus briefly to see what was happening to him. Apparently, there were some security key issues with some of the repos. Those errors prevented the apps from being installed. In an attempt to fix the issue by installing the keys, I ended up preventing updates from installing, so I had to disable those repos. Just hate it when that happens. The Flatpak also had some weird permission issues. I can't remember what they were, as I forgot to write them down. I will be brief about my second failure because I don't want to relive it again. I've been using Mint Cinnamon since last December with my new NVIDIA 1650 graphics card, the least expensive card that could support my monitor's native resolution. I went almost a year without being able to do that, so I wanted to be able to do that. At least I got the card before we ran out of graphics cards. I wanted to go back to Solus Budgie. Well, that didn't go well. <laughs> All I could get to work was the open source driver, which ironically did not support that resolution that I wanted to use. I heard that PopOS supported NVIDIA in a separate ISO. The long story short, it installed and worked on my first boot. The other reason I'm trying PopOS is because I've grown to like it on my System76 Pangolin. 
Once graphics cards become more available, I may swap the card for an AMD if I continue to have problems with other distros with my NVIDIA card. So let's move ahead and get Moss to review Makulu Lindos. Okay, Makulu Linux Lindos. I don't even remember who suggested this distro to me, but it looks like a great suggestion, especially for new users leaving Windows 10 for Linux. My hardware, I installed this on my System76 Kudu 3 laptop with an i7 6th gen processor and Intel graphics, 16GB of RAM and a 1TB SSD. Installation ease and issues. This distro uses the Calamaris installer with no advanced options. I could not designate the swap partition, for instance. But the installation went smoothly, and new users would appreciate the simplicity. There is no need to report all the steps as they're laid out clearly and understandably and run flawlessly. Thank you, Calamaris. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. Post-installation setup looks well thought out, but keeps opening other windows rather than being integrated. This distro is set up with Chrome, not Chromium, not Firefox, and tries to require you to use it. Even their forums, apparently a web app, open up Chrome. You are informed there is a snapshot feature, but it only opens TimeShift, which, while it is a useful backup feature, is not technically a snapshot. You're prompted to log into all your various online accounts. I guess they really do want you to have that whole Microsoft experience. I logged into my Ubuntu One account and could not get the window to close. The only button showing is to remove your account. Aha! The red X to close the window is hidden. You have to mouse over it to reveal it. The desktop is based on Cinnamon. I replaced Chrome with Firefox. They have a modified Conky taking desktop real estate, but it gets out of the way easily. Element is included in the software store. A nice touch. There was a long pause before it started to install, but it did eventually install. Telegram 2.7.1 is also in the re repo, which is from Flathub. Then I went to install Discord, and now that I know where to look, I see it is coming from the repo, and it's asking for my password to continue, which it didn't for Element or Telegram. And when it starts installing, I see it's not installing a repo copy, but rather a snap package. And I had to log out and back in to get these newly installed apps to show up in my menus. The Conky adaptation looks terrific, but the instructions on how to set up the weather, clock, etc. are not at all clear. Keep clicking around the area, you will get lucky eventually. The weather asks for a code, but unlike weather apps which ask for some geomarker you have to look up somewhere, they just want your zip code, at least if you're in the U.S. Since the dev is from South Africa and currently resides in Vietnam, I'm fairly certain he has it worked out for other areas of the world. Ease of Use after everything is set up and running the way I want it, it is a breeze to run, looks beautiful, especially if you like Windows 10, and easily could be considered as your main distro of choice. But beware, you need to be aware that their battery icon always shows more remaining battery life. After using this on my power-hungry Kudu for over an hour, there appeared to be no significant reduction in battery use based on the icon, but hovering over it, I found I was at 55%. This may be considered an improvement over other distros. I've had some indicators show nearly empty when it was at 45% or higher. There is also a security problem with Windows. Not enough of it. While you cannot log into your system without a password, the dev has otherwise disabled all calls for your password when doing root-level stuff using sudo and is proud of it. 
I just believe that when you enter a terminal, you should have to enter a password at least once to sudo, like most distros do. And while the nice graphical software updater works well, for some reason it does not check back after completion to see if more needs to be done. More than once I opened terminal and ran sudo apt update and found many more updates waiting for me. For the life of me, I can't figure out how to use their workspace switcher. It looks a lot like the one in more modern Ubuntu-based distros, but it doesn't function the same. I've tried just about everything that works in other distros. Sometimes I've actually gotten it to work, but haven't been able to repeat my result. I did get a response when I posted it to the forum. I do not consider it a friendly one, so that's a big markdown. It's also a bit hard to get into the forum. You go to the distro's website, click on forum, and find the login almost at the very bottom of the page, which then takes you back to the website, and you have to click on forum again. You might eventually get used to logging in on the website and then clicking forum, but I haven't managed to remember to try that yet, so I don't know for certain that that would be an improvement. Memory and disk use. This is not the lightest of distros. I was using 790 megabytes of RAM under NeoFetch. With the browser open to Google Mail and Google Drive, I'm using 2,396 gigabytes. While that is a fair amount, it is still low enough to use on a computer with 4 gigs of RAM. Ease of finding help. They have their own forums, but they appear underused. The dev does get back to you quickly, but there do not seem to be a lot of other users on the site. Not all the answers you get may be found satisfactory, but should be sufficient to give you what you need. The one issue I asked about would have required a short answer. Use this keystroke or do a mouse click here. Instead, I got the answer to go watch a video. The good news is this is Ubuntu and Cinnamon, and you should be able to find plenty of help if you go to those types of forums. And as I always seem to say, don't forget linuxquestions.org. Plays nice with others. I have had no difficulty using it on my multiboot Kudu, cohabiting with six other distros. Stability? It's just as stable as Ubuntu, maybe more so since they strip out a lot of apps and tools before releasing it. Similar distros to check out, Ultimate Edition, Farin OS, and Zorin OS. My ratings, ease of installation, new user 10 out of 10, experience user 10 out of 10, hardware issues 10 out of 10, ease of finding help 5 out of 10, ease of use 10 out of 10, plays nice with others 10 out of 10, stability 10 out of 10, so my overall rating, thanks to the help I got or actually did not get other than saying go watch a video, I'm giving it a 9 out of 10. Before I got that advice, I had it as high as 9.9, .9. I think I'd settle on a 9.5, but if you don't get help when you ask for help, except go watch something, that, that really hurts the user's opinion of a distro. My final comments, I need to try this one out more. This would go into the top tier of my recommendations for people who want to try Linux who are used to Windows 10. And if you loaded it on a new user's machine, you would not likely get any questions for a couple of weeks. But when you do get questions, the paper cuts here are definitely different than in other distros. Make sure you're knowledgeable enough in the system to answer their questions. The slightly lower level of security will make it just like Windows, pleasing a new user and infuriating an experienced one, except you still can't install Windows executable files and viruses. Caution, do not overdo trying to cut back on unneeded components. Removing an unneeded on-screen keyboard, for instance, would completely remove cinnamon. So let's move along and get Dale to give us his review of OpenSUSE Tumbleweed now that Tony has you all primed for it. 
So, as Ma said, I'm doing open SUSE tumbleweed. I did look up a video on speaking of videos. I uh, was curious because it's a big, I wouldn't say controversy, but people always don't know how to say that. And it's a German origin. I was going to put that in the review, but I couldn't speak German. But SUSE is uh, a abbreviation that isn't German. Anyways, Tumbleweed, as I said, is a rolling distribution of OpenSUSE. OpenSUSE is a community-sponsored project by SUSE, ARM, B1 Systems, Tuxedo Computers, and others. OpenSUSE and SUSE's history is long and complicated. In short, SUSE is a company of German origin, as I said. They created SUSE Linux in early 1994, making it one of the oldest existing commercial distributions. In October of 2005, OpenSUSE was created as a non-commercial version of SUSE. It was based on SUSE Linux 10.1, and the first version of OpenSUSE was 10.2. Tumbleweed was originally conceived by Greg Crow Hartman, who is currently the maintainer of the Linux kernel. He had the idea of making add-on rolling release from the OpenSUSE development codebase that could be added to OpenSUSE. The current tumbleweed that we have today is the merger of that development codebase and OpenSUSE, thus creating a rolling release distro. I want to make a special mention to Joshua Hawk of the Mintcast podcast and Crowbar Kernel Panic, which is a Linux gaming podcast, for helping me with OpenSUSE. It is one of his favorite distros, and he is quite familiar with it. Thank you for the help. My hardware. The laptop I used is my Lenovo ThinkPad T460, which is my retired daily driver. It has an Intel dual-core i5-6200U 2.8GHz CPU, 14-inch display using Intel HD Graphics 520, 16GB of RAM, and a 500GB SSD. Installation ease and issues. I created the installation USB using Popsicle, which is an open source GTK app that PopOS uses. It worked very well. Since most computers these days are using UEFI as the default, I chose to enable it for this review. Upon boot up, you have the option of boot from hard disk, installation, upgrade, and more. More includes rescue the system, boot Linux system, and check installation media. I thought I would try the uh, installation media option, so I selected check installation media, and after, I'd say, I don't know, 30 seconds to a minute or so, the media was verified as good, and then you didn't have to go back and start the installation because it automatically loads the installer, which kind of nice. Once in the installation, you are shown a license agreement, because after all, the roots of this is a commercial distribution, so they have to appease the lawyers or the solicitors. This is also where you select your language and test your keyboard. Next, you are shown the network settings. If you choose to configure the network, updates will be downloaded during the installation, and your Wi-Fi network settings will be imported into the new installation. That is really a nice feature I wish other distros would do. If you want to configure the network settings, select your device from the list and click Edit. For wired, select Dynamic IP if you're using DHCP, or Static 
if you manually want to enter your IP address. For Wi-Fi, you will click on the Choose Network. It will scan for available access points. After you select yours from the list, it should automatically pick the authentication mode for the WPA, WPA2, etc. Enter your credentials needed to connect. I will note that on my T430 ThinkPad, the Network Finder gave an error multiple times, stating that it could not load the wireless networking widget. It asked if I wanted to load the debug mode or not. If I chose no, it asked again. I then learned that choosing no a second time causes an error in the installer. The installation will restart, but it loads the NCURSES terminal installer. When that happens, you can reboot into the installer or follow these instructions. Select Install, then select USB Installation Media, which is listed under Hard Disk. Mine was SDB2. Just press the down arrow until you see it listed. It asks for the path to uh, for the installation media. Just press Enter a couple times. Then the GUI installer will reopen. On my T460, the Wi-Fi finder worked. If you don't want to configure the networking settings, just click Next. And I will say that on the T430, the uh, light for the uh, Wi-Fi was turned on, so I don't know what the uh, what the issue was with it. Now you can select what OpenSUSE calls System Role. Basically, do you want a desktop or a server install? The desktop environments available are KDE Plasma, 521, GNOME 40, XF416. Other DEs and window managers are available in the repositories after you install. I chose GNOME 40. Up next is the partitioning. By default, it will wipe the drive and install OpenSUSE as the only operating system. Your other options are Guided Setup and Expert Partitioner. The Guided option is not very straightforward. Select a drive you want to use for the root partition, then you are shown the following options via drop-down menu choices. Choose what you want to do with existing Linux partitions. Do not modify, remove if needed, and remove even if not needed. You know, clear as mud, in my opinion. Below is another option. Choose what to do with other partitions. You are given the same drop-down menu choices. If you select the wrong combination of the two options, the installer will report that they are not compatible and you need to change them. It doesn't tell you what to change them to, it just politely tells you that you're wrong. You will be able to enable the disk encryption, LVM, which is logical volume management. That is a way of grouping multiple drives into a pool to sum their uh, drive capacity. If you want to change the default file system of BTRFS, or some people like to call it ButterFS, you can do that in the next screen. Other available file systems are ext2, 3, 4, and XFS. You can also have a separate home partition and a swap partition. The expert partitioner is more like the partitioner used in other distros advanced partitioning option. Looking at all those options will be overwhelming for a new user, and maybe even to an advanced user. It will take a few minutes to see how it works, though once you understand how it works, it is very well presented. If you select the Use 
the proposed partitioning, you will see all the BTRFS volumes already configured. If you select the existing partitions, nothing will be configured. If you are unfamiliar with BTRFS, like I am, and its subvolumes, you have a learning curve ahead of you. The syntax is not bad, it's just unfamiliar. If you want a pre-configured set of subvolumes, it is best to do a default installation wiping the drive until you get an understanding of how ButterFS subvolumes work. I decided to wipe the drive and install. Next, I set my location, time zone, and clock. In the other settings option, you can manually change your time and date. Use NTP, which is the network time protocol, to set your time and date. NTP will not be available if you didn't previously configure your network settings. Then you create your user. You have the option of using a user's password for admin activities via sudo, or you can use automatic login. The following screen shows a summary of the settings you have selected. In the security section toward the bottom, you can adjust the default settings. Now click on install. When finished, it will reboot into the newly installed system. One thing I noticed, I wasn't asked for the computer name during the installation. A week or so later, I installed Tumbleweed on my T430 and I still missed it. Oh well. While chatting with Josh online, I mentioned it to him. He created a short video with his smartphone and sent it to me, showing me where it was. It was in another tab in the networking settings that I didn't notice. So if you missed it like I did, twice I might add, it is a tab next to the overview labeled Hostname DNS. And that's incidentally where you can change your DNS if you want to use a specific one. Post installation hardware facts and issues. All of the hardware is detected and working, including the native display resolution. The Wi-Fi settings were imported from the installer, so upon logging in, I was connected to my phone's Wi-Fi. Ease of use. A few days later, I turned the laptop on and was notified there were updates available. I chose to use the GUI updater, and it completed the update. A pop-up window informed me that no more updates were available. I clicked OK. Then a smaller pop-up with an error was shown. Could not get updates. Failed to process the request. There was a more details link below it. I clicked on it and did nothing. So I clicked OK. Oddly, a duplicate pop-up again stated the same error. I clicked on it and yet another duplicate pop-up appeared. I clicked OK on this uh, third one, but nothing happened. I tried closing the updater and it wouldn't close. At that point, I decided to reboot. And since then, updates were installed without these pop-ups occurring. After the updates, OpenSUSE was at kernel 5.12, which you can't get much more current than that. After the first week, I started using Zipper. It is a command line updating utility using the zip, Z-Y-P-P, or libzypp package manager engine. It is quite a capable utility. Zipper handles all searching, updating, installation, and removing packages, and you're also able to make changes to the repositories. I was surprised to learn its ability to manage system services. One thing I noticed about using Zipper, 
If you want to use it immediately after booting up, you need to wait for the GUI updater to finish checking for updates. Otherwise, it'll give an error stating it's being blocked. Yeah, I've had that happen a lot of distros, less than half, but a lot. Yeah, that was that was a uh, new one on me. Maybe I just got lucky. <laughs> you know, ask if you want to interrupt the uh, current action with a yes or no. Typing yes will not be accepted until the GUI updater is finished. I did read on the OpenSUSE forums that you can stop and disable the package kit service, which is a service that manages package management. I didn't try this yet. I will say one thing about updates with Tumbleweed. Be prepared to download and install a lot of them. In one day alone, there were over 200 updates at about a 1 gigabyte download. There were more updates later in the week. The amount varies from a couple dozen to a couple hundred. Another thing I learned was from Joshua Hawk. It is strongly suggested to use zipper dupe, D-U-P, command instead of update on Tumbleweed. Dupe is the district upgrade option, which is D-I-S-T hyphen upgrade. If you use the GUI updater, you will not need to be concerned about that. And I did read in their wiki, the reason is the way they distribute the updates in Tumbleweed. Because it is a rolling update, all they do is security fixes and out-of-cycle patches. Everything else is basically like doing a dist upgrade on another distribution every time. Which, after I read that, it made sense to me. Because it's rolling and... You're pretty much getting a new distribution every time, essentially. So you're getting all zippered up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You just want to make sure that the uh, your fly is closed and open properly. Yeah, that that's the way that Josh calls it: zippered up. Zippered up. <laughs> I like that. I think I actually, I think I have heard him say that. But yeah, I, one thing I'm wondering if they're using YKK or if they're using one of the uh, cheap knockoffs. Well, Talon was the original, but... <laughs> well, you know, I do live in the, in the city that has one of the patents on the zipper. That's why the university has um, the kangaroo as a mascot, and he's called Zippy. But we digress. <laughs> yes, we digress. <laughs> one utility that sets OpenSUSE apart from other distros is YAST, which is Y-A-S-T, which stands for Yet Another Setup Tool. YAST does everything that Zipper can do and more. Most system settings can be managed with YAST. If you prefer the terminal, there is an NCurses version. NCurses provides a terminal-based graphical menu interface. If you would rather use the GUI, there is a GUI version available. It is a great utility and may save you a lot of time typing commands. Memory and disk use. On a clean boot, I measured with free at uh, 744 megabytes and 10 gigabytes of disk on use, which was an interesting way of trying to figure out how much this space would use because of ButterFS, which I had to ask Josh how to find out. Ease of finding help. OpenSUSE has a great wiki and forums. I used the forums and the wiki for many questions I had. I also asked Josh quite a few questions as well. Plays nice with others. I didn't get a chance to dual boot this. If you were to install a distro after OpenSUSE, I don't see a problem. I just have some concerns with the partitioner on OpenSUSE's installer. It would be a little intimidating for a new user. 
Yeah, install OpenSUSE first, then install what else you want. Yes, because the expert installer would probably be a better option, but but then there's a learning curve that I it's just not good for new users. If you're experienced, try that instead. Stability. I didn't experience any stability issues. For a rolling release, it is pretty stable. With that said, the OpenSUSE wiki does point out that due to the rolling nature, they cannot see that packages will not break, especially if one depends on a certain kernel version or library version. Similar distros to check out. OpenSUSE Leap, which is their static, I guess you could call it their LTS I've released. It's uh, more based on SUSE Enterprise Server. Ubuntu Rolling Rhino, Manjaro, Endeavor, Arch, Black Arch, Reborn, any of the uh, spins for uh, Arch. Arch rolls. Yeah. <laughs> Roll with it. By the way, I don't run Arch. And for my ratings, the ease of installation for a new user, I was going to be generous and say 7 out of 10. It's, it could be teetering on the 5 to 6 very easily. Or the two if you're stupid like me. <laughs> it's very, that's right, it's hard for me to, to relate to everybody's uh, level. But uh, yeah, I'd say five to seven is, is safe and it could go off the deep end very quickly. An experienced user, nine, I'd comfortably say nine just because there's a little bit of a learning curve with some of that too, if the menus and et cetera. Harder issues, nine out of 10 just because of my T430 was glitching on the Wi-Fi driver for some reason. These are finding help for the community and web. It's 10 out of 10. Ease of use, 10 out of 10. Plays nice with others. I didn't try it, uh, so have fun. Stability, what can I say? 10 out of 10. It's based on one of the most stable server releases since uh, the creation of Linux. So overall, I'd say 8 out of 10. My final comments. There are a couple of things I didn't mention in the review, such as GNOME 40. I'm not a f- big fan of GNOME, though my experience with Pop! OS on my System76 Pangolin and my self-built desktop, it has warmed me up to it. I installed GNOME 40 just to try it out. As a desktop environment, it was stable and functioned as intended. Another thing I didn't mention was ButterFS. If you're wanting the best experience in the most up-to-date version, I would highly recommend trying Tumbleweed. If you want a non-rolling release with an older version, then try Leap. I didn't speak on it much, frankly, because I'm not familiar enough with it to speak on it. It offers a great rollback feature in case of an update or a configuration goes pear-shaped. The sub-volume feature is also interesting, but takes some time to wrap your head around it. If you want to try the newest packages, but you want more stability than an arts-based distro, I would highly suggest OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. Now let's see what Moss has to tell us about SolidX. Thank you, Dale. SolidX. This distro was begun in 2012 and was based on Linux Mint Debian Edition. The developer created two editions, one using XSCE and the other using KDE Plasma. It's simple, keeps resource usage low, and is kept secure. My hardware. For this installation, I used the Dell Inspiron 7353 laptop. 
This machine has an i5 6th generation and Intel graphics, 8GB of RAM and a 128GB SSD. Installation ease and issues. The distro uses its own installer, but it's quite simple and easy to follow. The partitioner is not completely integrated, but is obviously a themed GParted. If you do create a new partition, you will need to hit the refresh button before continuing. The button is there, but there is no prompt to use it. Even so, it is much easier to use than the normal Debian installer, and you won't have many issues other than what I just noted. After you have it mostly installed, it will look like it's freezing halfway done with updates. Please be patient. It will continue and complete without issues. I've installed this three or four different times, and every time it's like, it's stuck, what do I do now? And what you do now is you just sit there and wait for it. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. On some random boots, the mouse does not work. This is probably just one of those weird things dealing with Linux on a Dell computer, but I'm not certain. I don't see any issues listed in the user forum. Grub Customizer is in the repo, not always the case with Debian-based distros until the latest versions, so if you're dual or multi-booting, it's easy to reclaim Grub with sudo grub-install, then run Grub Customizer to get your boot the way you want it. Ease of use. It's XSCE on Debian with a minty tilt. I found it easier and better to use than MX Linux. If I had liked the colors and theming, I might even recommend it over LMDE. If you like Plasma and can get Solid K to work for you, the system does look better in blue. Memory and disk use. NeoFetch reports 522 meg megabytes of RAM usage on different boots, some up to 528. Stacer says I have 7.3 gigabytes in use, including a folder of wallpapers I added. I don't need to tell you that's pretty light, although not the lightest of the distros I use. Ease of finding help. There aren't many people in the forum, but the responses are lightning fast. And again, it's Debian at the heart. You should be able to find lots of help. I continue to recommend the use of linuxquestions.org. It was the first thing I joined when getting serious about Linux. Plays nice with others. I ran this as a solo boot, other than the attempt to dual boot it with Solid K. I don't think the issue with Solid K had anything to do with the fact that it was dual booting. Stability. You can count on Debian for stability, maybe more stability than you'd like as the system updates more slowly than most to make sure it is being tested, tested, and retested to make sure everything works. I don't see any issues with the desktop or the way it is implemented. Similar distros to check out, MX Linux, Q4OS, Debian, and Linux Mint Debian Edition. Ratings, ease of installation, new user 8 out of 10, experienced user 10 out of 10, hardware issues 8 out of 10, ease of finding help 9 out of 10, ease of use 10 out of 10, plays nice with others not tested, stability 10 out of 10, my overall rating is 8.5 out of 10. Final comments. While I don't much care for the default wallpaper, it is definitely distinctive. I had trouble looking at all the orange and brown, and I would bet that even most Tennessee and Texas football fans would come to agree. This is a good distro. I will check in on it in a year or two, but I won't be keeping it around right now. I also need to check back on Solid K and find out why I can't get it to boot when it's essentially the same distro with a plasma desktop. So let's move on to new releases. New releases since last episode from March 31st to May 4th, Deepin 20.2, Jing OS 0.8, FreeBSD 13.0, Alpine 3.13.5, Academics 2.6, EasyOS 2.7, 
Slackware 15 beta. Y'all know I don't go for betas, but we've been waiting five years for this. It's significant. Proxmox 1.1 backup server. PC 2.2. Ultimate 6.7.1 developer. Endeavor 2021.04.17. System Rescue 8.0.2. MX Linux 19.4. Linux Lite 5.4. Univention Corporate Server 4.4-8. Ubuntu All Official Flavors and Most Unofficial Flavors. T2 SDE 21.4. Reborn OS 2021.04.22. Voyager 21.04. Fedora 34. KOS 2021.04, Makulu Linux 2021-04-27, Proxmox 6.4 VE, Calculate 21, KDE Neon 2021.04.29, GhostBSD 21.04.27, Artix 2021.04.26, OpenBSD 6.9, Open Indiana 2021.04, Archman 2021.0501, Arch Linux 2021.05.01, Arch Labs 2021.05.02, Reborn OS 2021.05.02, and Sparky Linux 5.15. Breathe. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you want to handle the feedback, Tony? Yeah, I'll do that. So, feedback this episode. We actually got an email from Phil, uh, all the way over in Australia. So, good day, Tony and crew. I have just finished listening to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 21, and found it to be absolutely fascinating. I really like Dale's breakdown of Debian in the intro, as I learned a lot about this distro, of which mine, Linux Mint, is based on. It was good for me to understand the differences between apt and app get, as I always thought they were interchangeable. Wherever possible, I prefer to use the command line. I never use sudo apt in Mint, as it will ask for the sudo password if required. I was also interested in Mossy's review of Mangia 8, as I have a soft spot for anything Mandrake related. I briefly used it, Mandrake that is, in the late 90s, early 2000s, but never stuck with it. Oh well. This is the second of your podcasts I've listened to, having come here from Mintcast and loved them both. It sparked an interest in distro hopping and I am hoping that one dis- once I master setting up VMs, we'll look into other distros. I've pencilled in Open Mandriver to try first based on Mossy's recommendation in this episode. Keep up the good work, Phil. Thank you, Phil. Yes, thank you, Phil. Yeah, great to get some actual, real, honest feedback. <laughs> Shall we move on to announcements? Let's go. Announcements. Our next episode will probably be recorded around June 2nd or 9th, depending largely on Dale's schedule. For chatting with us further, you may choose to join our 23 users in Telegram, our 53 members on MeWe, or the 120 or so members of the Mintcast channel in Discord. Where can our users find you, Dale? I'm on Telegram as at Dale underscore CDL. My email is Dale underscore CDL at PM dot 
M-E. Tony, where can we find you? Uh, yeah, well, uh, I'm being very bad with my, uh, uh, what do you call it, social media at the moment, but you can contact me on distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. I'm also uh, on Hacker Public Radio. I'm host ID 338. I've got my occasional blog, which is uh, very occasional, at tony-hughes.blogspot.com. I'm on Twitter at tonyh1212. And I'm on th at mintcast.org. And you can hear me and Tony nearly every week on Mintcast and every week on Full Circle Weekly News. You can reach me as at Zyvola on Telegram, email me at zyvolananda at protonmail.ch, and find me on Mastodon at at Zyvola at hosttux.social, plus by various blogs and music sites, and along with Dale and Dylan at itsmoss.com. We would like to thank the Mintcast crew for our use of their mumble room. My work here and at Mintcast can be supported by joining my sponsors. I am Zyvola on sponsors.org or by direct donation through sponsors or PayPal, zyvolananda.protonmail.ch. Thanks to supporter Firecat and helpers SK Beans, Linux Level 114, and John in Glasgow. I am very grateful for all donations which have been or will be received. Before we go, we would like to thank all those who have made this project possible, starting with the Mintcast crew for allowing us to use their Mumble server and Discord group. Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program. Audacity, which we use to record and edit the show. Joshua Lowe for work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting, and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Midair Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stolman for the GNU toolkit, and all those who have worked hard behind the scenes on free and open source Libre software. We shall be back next month. Thank all of you for listening. <laughs>